Great, thank you, Sam. Right, if you have a Bible, if you want to open that up to Colossians chapter 2, that would be fantastic. Colossians chapter 2. This is kind of carrying on our series and what we looked at last week and we have been looking at over the last month or so. We're going to carry on in this. So Colossians chapter 2. And the verses we're covering today are 6 to 15. And I want to say that I think, and I mean, Sam agrees because he told me this, that Colossians 2, 6 and 7 are like a microcosm of the book. They are kind of the theme sentence. If you were to boil the book down, these are the verses that Paul would want you to leave with. Verses two, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And I'm going to read, and actually I'm going to, before I do that, I'm going to do a kind of running jump to get there. So we're going to start from 2 verse 1. So if you can turn to 2 verse 1, we'll do a running jump just to see what comes just before verses 6 and 7. And then we'll read down to verse 15. Before I do that, I'm going to pray. Loving Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give me wisdom in what I say. We pray that this morning we would be changed by your word. We would take to heart what it is you have done for us and how we are meant to leave this morning singing of the marvellous cross. The cross in which our sin was nailed to. A record of debt paid. Help us this morning to feel this in our hearts, to know what you have done and to leave with a bigger view of you. Amen. Okay, let's read from, I'm going to do a running jump from verse 1 and then we'll turn to verse 6 as is on the screen. 2 verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order not that no one may be deluded with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in these big, bold verses. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then Paul kind of takes a change in his letter and he goes on the offensive to the false teaching that is going on in Colossae at the time. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Then verses 13 and 14 are the heart of the Christian message. Listen to this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, 
nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Well, these are the verses that we are looking at today. And as I said, verses 6 and 7, kind of the big title, subtitle verses of the whole book. What Paul wants you to leave with, and I've kind of got this point as how we are to live. And then verses 8 to 15 is how we are to walk. How we are to live and how we are to walk. And you'll realise that I've not spent much time on these points because they're so very similar. But I think there's a slight nuance in what goes on there. Verses 6 and 7, how we are to live. I don't know if you, when you read the Bible you sometimes find it hard. I imagine that is the case for everyone. There are parts that are difficult to understand, hard to grasp what is being said first, hard to grasp what it means, hard to grasp what it means for us. But there is one word that God has given us in the Bible, I think is one of the greatest words he could give us. Especially in understanding letters written by Paul, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, like Romans, trying to understand what it is he says. This word, for me, brings such joy. Anyone know what it is? The first word of verse 6, therefore. Therefore is a great word when you're trying to study the Bible because it tells you what is going on. It says, everything that I've said beforehand, now do this. Everything I've said here means that this is the case. Whenever you read the word therefore, just a thing that you will never forget once you've heard it is the question you should have is, what is the therefore, therefore? What is it that Paul is trying to tell us? What is it that we are meant to do after this? And with this one, we had, that's where I read from verse 1. Last week we had a sermon on verse 24 from chapter 1 to verse 5. And I'm not going to ask anyone here to tell me a summary of my sermon or what the message was. But it was, it was along the lines of Jesus is really, really great. Jesus is God's plan of salvation for ages past. It has always been God's plan. And more than this, it is in him you find riches and treasures. Everything that your heart desires. And then we have that wonderful word, therefore. Knowing all this is true, therefore, as you received this Christ Jesus, so walk in him. As you received him, now live in him. And I guess a helpful thing to do here is what I've been doing this week is just reflect back, if you're a Christian, to that moment where you became a Christian. Think back, it might be five years, it might be 30 years, it might just be a couple of months. Think back to that moment, that sermon or that time period in life. For me, it was when I was, I was 17 and I just had been, I thought I'd been a Christian for most of my life. I thought I'd followed church and done all these different things, but then I realized that I'd never, never thought enough about, I thought too much about what people thought of me and not enough about Jesus. So I took this kind of stand where I publicly said, I believe Jesus is my savior. I believe it with all of my heart that I'm willing to put my pride and my kind of what people think of me on the line for this Jesus. And it's the moment where, and um, I'm going to kind of quote quite a lot of, um, songs today because we can't sing it's just helpful to kind of think through some of the songs it is well with my soul this old hymn says this it is well with my soul it is well with my soul let me find it I've written it down it is well with my soul 
Though Satan should buffet, if trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Do you remember the time where this was true, where you really, really believed this? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That moment when you became a Christian where you didn't understand everything around the matter of Christianity, but you understood the only thing that did matter, where Jesus died for your sins. Paul says, stick with that. Don't move on to anything else. Don't move on to other ideas, other philosophies. Stay in that. As you receive this Christ Jesus, at the moment you were converted, stick with him where he died for your sins. And as you carry on through verse 7, he kind of builds on this. He says, so walk in him. And he gives three metaphors, a garden, a building, and kind of a, a law court type of metaphor. As you received him, stay rooted, stay built up, and be confirmed or established in your faith, just as you were taught. And if you've been a Christian for a while, this is something that I think sometimes washes over us, just how strange this metaphor is. Because he's told us one thing so far. He said, walk in Jesus. And then he uses the metaphor of a tree being rooted, or a building being built. As a man who studied civil engineering for four years, you might not know this, but whenever a building moves, that is not a good sign. That is not a good thing that's happening. Or if you were walking through the meadows, if you were walking through Spilo Park, and this birch tree or this willow just uprooted itself and started to walk, it would be strange. you think, what is going on? But the, the idea of the metaphor is that God wants you to grow, but not move on. Essentially saying that, that Christianity, the Christian faith, is not this static religion where you get in and you stop. But it's that you don't move on and that you grow. It's not this static relationship, but it is a vertical relationship. The growing is growing deeper and deeper as a tree, bearing fruit as a tree and being built up higher and higher. He's saying, grow as a Christian, but don't move on from Jesus' death and resurrection. And I think this kind of tells us two things today. The first thing is, is just don't move on in that be aware there is teaching that sounds so similar to the Christian faith that you know but it is Jesus plus. And it's just, it's just a be aware that there is teaching that is similar to what we know and love, but is slightly different. So be aware of that. And the second one, which might be um, more pertinent for us, is that in the Christian life, there is growth. The, but to put that into a question is, are you growing as a Christian? Do you feel stagnant or just that life is difficult? Do you feel dry weighed down by life, unable, as Paul has used in chapter 1, to bear fruit. Paul is saying that the Christian life is about growing, growing more and more in our love for Jesus, growing more and more in our understanding of what he has done. 
God could have saved us and just left us on our own to get to the end. But he's not. He's given us wonderful gifts to to pray to him, to read his word more, and to have people around us who are saved by the same blood as us. Do we use the gifts that God has given us to understand more, to be able to grow deeper in this Jesus? Do we grow? And then he finishes his verses in verse 7. He says, be rooted, be built up and established in the faith just as you were abounding in thanksgiving. Again, he's saying that the Christian faith is not this dusty old religion. We are not meant to be grumpy old Christians or uncaring, doctrinally dusty Christians. We are not meant to be just critical of everything around us. We are meant to be, th- we are meant to be the most thankful people in all of Collington. We are meant to be abounding, overflowing, boundless thanksgiving to our God. I say this in a way that, bearing in mind, we don't want to be fake to people. We don't want to be fake. But we can be the most thankful, doer Scottish people in the country. We don't have to be fake in our thanksgiving. But we have to be thankful for what Jesus has done for us. Can, can I read another hymn? I've been listening to loads of hymns this week. Just last week was just so helpful hearing songs sung and being reminded that there's just something that a song does to lift our soul. This is an old hymn by a man called William Cowper. And it is, There is a fountain filled with blood. This is the reason why we should be abounding in thanksgiving, resting on this faith that we have known from the beginning. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, that is Jesus' veins. As sinners plunge beneath the flood, we lose all of our guilty stains. The dying thief, the man dying beside Jesus on the cross, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile is he, washed all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till when? Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ever since by faith I saw this stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Listen to this. This should be our theme. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. These are fantastic words. And one day we will be able to belt them out again. And the verses finishes like this. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a noble, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. Unbelievable words. Abounding in thanksgiving to God for what he has done. The most important thing in our life has been dealt with. And that's our relationship with him. So that is how we are to live. So let's look at how we are to walk. The, the, the um, verbs are very similar and there's not much difference in it. But I think, I think what Paul does here is he says that that kind of idea of being rooted, he's saying that there are going to be gusts of wind that are going to try and uproot you, try and take you away from this Jesus that you have known and love, trying to shift our base. So how we are to walk is to stand firm in this and grow deeper. 
Because Paul moves on to talk about the teaching that has been going on in the church in Colossae. And if you remember right, we've been going through this for a couple of weeks. And Sam said right at the start that it's actually really difficult to pin down exactly what that teaching was. It's really difficult to know exactly what it is. And actually a lot of the commentaries struggle just kind of understanding what the, uh, it might be. But we can have a good stab at what it is. We can say for certain what we know and then we can apply it from there. Verse 8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits, and not according to Christ. So it seems that what they are teaching is some sort of philosophy, some sort of empty deceit is what Paul calls it, that comes according to three things, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So it's probably closer to a religious false teaching as opposed to kind of just the cultural trends of the world around us. It probably comes a lot closer to that. The, the word philosophy does not mean kind of just philosophy of the world, like the Greek philosophers. The, the word philosophy in Greek is um, philosophia, which is love of wisdom or the study of wisdom. And this is something that Paul has, if you read through Colossians and just pick out the word wisdom, he's been saying, that's found in Jesus. That's found in Jesus. That's found in Jesus. So he uses the word really deliberately. And if you go through Colossians as well and look for the word full or filled or fulfilled, he says, that's found in Jesus, that's found in Jesus, that's found in Jesus. And the idea is he's using these words to say the philosophies, the the empty, the opposite of full deceit that they are telling you gets you nowhere. So what is the teaching? It's something to do with traditions. It's something to do with elemental spirits of the world. That being, they think kind of like a sun or star worship. If you look at verse 18, it kind of goes along the lines of angel worship. It's something really spiritual. But all we know for certain is most definitely not of Christ. So let's have a stab. My best guess is, is, is that it's... They say you are saved by Jesus. Jesus is really good. But then to build on that, you have to carry on in Old Testament teachings. So if you look at verse 11 of our verses today, it talks about circumcision. If you look at verse 16, after he says his spiel in verses 8 to 15, he says another therefore, another great word. He says, therefore, because all that is true, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So it seems that what they're teaching is, is that Jesus is a good place to start, but then you have to build on that by carrying on the Old Testament traditions and laws and rules. And what they say is that when you get this, verse 18, you are able to, let no one disqualify you, insisting on, you're able to Worship angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So what it's saying is that you get in with Jesus, then you build on it with carrying on the Old Testament teachings, and you're able to participate in this kind of Jewish mysticism that's going on. You're able to have these visions or to worship angels more than you've ever been able to before. 
That's the best stab that we can have at it. And there's not really much we can compare it to today. There's nothing similar in what is going on in the world around us. But as Sam said at the start, what we can do is say what they're doing is Jesus is good. And then they build on it and say, you have to do this. And then you get this. And there are many things in our life that we build on this Jesus. We push further than this. So then verse 9 to 15, he talks about this teaching and he kind of rebukes it. He kind of says, that is nonsense. And if you sense the tone of what Paul is doing here, it's actually quite funny. If if you imagine, this is the tone that Paul has. If you imagine you're getting ready to board a plane. And as you are getting ready to board a plane, there's a man in front of you and he's just like begging the stewardess to get on the plane. He's saying, I've got to get on the plane. My my kids and my family are at the other end. They're going to pick me up. They're going to deal with me. I've been away with work for so long. I need to get on the plane. Just let me get in anywhere. Knowing, I know the plane is full. I know it's full, but I need to get on. They said, I'll pay money. I'll, I'll, I'll sit in the toilet for the whole journey home. I just need to get on this plane. And the stewardess just says, you've got a ticket. You're on the plane already. Why are you still here? And he just doesn't even listen. He says, no, 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 I'll pay you loads of money. I need to get on the plane. That's the tone that Paul has. He's saying, you've already got it. Why are you trying to get any more? That's the idea of what's going on here. Paul is saying, you have all the riches. You have all the treasures. Why would you want more? You're already on the plane And I think sometimes we are slightly guilty of this, not in a way of we want to circumcise each other and grow in our godliness, but more that I think we sometimes, or which one of us doesn't feel that God doesn't love us 100% all the time. Sometimes we feel so guilty that we have to do more or that when we are doing well and we're living godly, we think God loves us more. We kind of add to it. And that's where Paul says, nonsense. All of your debt was paid for on the cross. There's nothing more you can do. There's nothing more you can add to it. What's really helpful for us is the simplicity of the gospel is that we have done absolutely nothing to deserve what we have. Jesus paid it all for us. So I'll just go through this rebuttal really, really quickly. We'll fly through it. Paul kind of rebukes their teaching of what's going on. And he's exacerbated. He kind of says, why are you wanting more? Why are you wanting to do these different things? You've already got it. The teachers say, you can be full. You can have all fullness if you do these things. Paul says, verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He says, for in him dwells the Godhead bodily. He goes a step further. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He has just built up this Jesus and says, he is it. You can't have more. You have him. Then they say, yes, but you need to be circumcised to get this. Paul says, verse 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. 
Yeah, that's kind of a um, complicated sentence just to even understand what's going on. But in short, the Colossians were, teachers were saying, you need to be circumcised like the Old Testament. The Old Testament circumcision was this mark that you were in God's people, that you were different from the world around you, and you were going to be a partaker in God's promises and his blessings. And the Colossians say, you still need that. And Paul says, what? In Jesus, not just a part of you, all of you has been cut off. In Jesus, you have been circumcised. Not with the flesh, but by circumcision of Christ. And that happened when? Verse 12, when you were baptized, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. In the Old Testament, this was the mark of what made you different from the world around you, what meant you were in God's people and what meant that you were part of the promises of God. He says in the New Testament, baptism is what marks you out from the world, marks you in with God's people and a partaker in the promises and blessings of God. They say you need to be circumcised. Paul says you're already circumcised. You're already cut off from the world around. Don't listen to them. There's nothing more you can do. You're already on board. And then he kind of carries on. If you have time this week, just please read through and just listen to the words that it tells you you are as a Christian. The, the words of Colossians are fantastic in what we have in Jesus. Verse 13, he carries on. They say, you need to have fuller forgiveness. Which one of us doesn't feel guilty sometimes? He says, they, and they kind of press on this and they say, you need to have fuller forgiveness. And verse 13 and 14 you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You can't be any more forgiven than you already are. You are Alive, Just like the, the courtroom drama, the evidence is stacked high on the table against you. Every single thought you've had, every deed you have done, things that your closest friends or husband or wife don't even know, stacked high against us. And just follow the logic of these verses. You were dead in tre trespass and uncircumcision. God has made you alive. How? By forgiving us all our trespasses. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us. How on earth did he do that? Because he nailed it to the cross of Jesus. That we bear it no more. He blots it out. He wipes it away. He picks up all of the evidence and puts it through the hands of Jesus. Picks up all of the evidence with a hammer and nail, puts it in the hands of Jesus picks up my sin, my wretchedness, my accrued life of debt, everything that I've ever done, and puts it through the hands of my Saviour. Let me read again that it is well, verse, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Verse 15 is this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's almost like he's saying, Jesus, when he died at the cross, has this trail of philosophies that are empty, empty deceit, all the things that we think add to it. And he just kind of drags it like a Roman soldier was walking, or the Roman army were walking through this town. And the captives are in behind them, just looking demoralized, looking absolutely defeated. He says, at the cross, that is what happened to everything that we want to add to the cross of Jesus. Jesus took it all on the cross and made everything else that we think makes us right with God. He put it to open shame. I'll finish again with um, another song. This is a song called Jehovah Said Kenya. It's by, by a man called Robert Murray McShane. He was a minister in Dundee in the 1800s, and it's just this wonderful song of the Christian life. This is what it says. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah Sekenu, that is God is my righteousness, was nothing to me. Like tears from the daughters of Zion that roll, I wept when the waters went over Jesus' soul, yet thought not that my sins had nailed to the tree. Jesus Christ was nothing to me. Then free grace awoke me by light from on high. Legal fears shook me, I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah Sekenu, my saviour must be. My terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished with boldness I came to drink at the fountain life giving and free. Jesus Christ is all things to me. What more could we want as Christians? We have all treasures, all riches of God. The things that our soul craves desperately is abundantly given to us at the cost of our sinless saviour. The scandal of the gospel is that Jesus took everything that we deserved and we have been given everything that we don't deserve. We have been given nothing that we deserve. We are more sinful than we know and more loved than we imagine. He wiped away all the record of our debts, nailing it to the cross. What more could we ask for? The song we're going to finish with just now is um, Man of Sorrows, What a Name, the old version. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Guilt, guilty vile and spotless we, spot, guilty vile and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah. What a saviour. I'll pray and then Andy can lead us. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray this morning. Knowing that we are prone to wonder. Prone to leave the God that we love. Help us stay rooted. Help us stick with this Jesus. Help us to grow in him. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.